This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. This is the Fast Break Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Anderson. Joining me, as always, is Ricky Weber. What's up, what's up, guys? And Dave Oster. What's up, everybody? And today, we're going to be talking about the NBA Finals. Game 1 just got done, and right now, the Golden State Warriors sit at 13-0 and in the playoffs. Dave, you said 28-0 and in their past with 28 games with Klay Thompson. 28-1 and since Klay Thompson signed the toaster. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the Warriors and can they sweep all the way through the NBA playoffs playoffs all the way through the NBA Finals. Can they just sweep in general will be the topic. Then we're going to go on to Adam Silver. Does he want to kill the one and done? Should he kill the one and done? We'll be talking about that. He made some comments on the herd and I think also Dan Patrick. Um, Ricky, I think I think you mentioned. The I one I heard was from the herd. Okay. And it, I know he definitely for sure talked about it on the herd. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we are going to wrap that up. A little bit of 76ers talk because uh, we talked about the Lakers and a lot of Laker fans started talking about the 76ers pick and I think they're <laughs> going insane. Um, but I think it still brings up a, an interesting conversation because they are in a peculiar situation. So we'll talk about the 76ers and their draft, but let's jump into it. Uh, we just got done with Game 1 of the NBA Finals last night. Golden State won that 113-91 if you missed out. It was a fairly close game in the first quarter. Like Dave said, one of the best quarters, and the first quarter was one of the best yep. quarters uh, we've seen all NBA playoffs, but Golden State was able to pull away. Kevin Durant was absolutely on fire, putting up 38 points, I think 8 rebounds and 8 assists. He was electric. Looking at uh, this right away, boys, looking at this game, can the Warriors sweep their way through the NBA playoffs? Honestly, I think they can. It's it's almost scary to admit it, uh, but watching them, like I was so convinced that we finally got the series we all had waited for that first quarter. Right, it was, it was punch for punch, and then all of a sudden the wheels just fell off, and it was done. And you knew it by looking around, and just the the game had changed, and it was over. Mm-hmm. And now looking forward at three more games to go, I'm like, I mean. I can't see a reason why they wouldn't be able to sweep. Honestly, it, everything that we talked about on the podcast before with what do the Cavs need to do, it was like a checklist for shit they didn't do. Well, Ricky and that was, I mean, I was just going to say, like, the big thing we talked about last week when we did our full finals preview was who's going to guard who. And it was Durant. It's like who you want to put on them because they didn't have an answer for him. And for me... I feel like with the will they sweep, I think they will. I'm a, I'm on the side of I know I said Warriors and six, but now I want to say Warriors and four. But the only way they're not going to sleep or sweep sleep, it, well, they're well, going to sleep. Hopefully, that's what the sleep. Cavs. If they doing. don't get to sleep, but they're not going to sleep. If they do lose one game, it'll only be because LeBron James says no, no, I'm not losing this one, and comes out and just goes beast mode and doesn't let anyone else score. Well, and, and looking at this, I mean, if they do sweep, which you're saying they are going to sweep, you're I saying they can like, sweep, I'm like ninety percent. Yeah. Okay, you think they will sweep? You're saying they can sweep. What would that mean for the NBA? Because Ricky, I know that's one of the biggest things that you wanted to hit um, when we were talking, discussing this topic. Um, what would it mean for the NBA? Because I know people have said this was the worst regular season and this mm-hmm. has been the worst playoffs. So what would it mean having a sweep? Would it show Golden State dominance or would it just show how super teams are kind of ruining the NBA? Well, I the first thing I think of is not the West. I think of the East. And if I'm a team in the East, not the Cavaliers, I'm looking at it going, there's no way we're going to win the NBA Finals in the next few years because not only can we get through LeBron James, and I'm looking at you, Boston, even if you did get through LeBron James— there's no way an IT-led Celtics team, and I'm only using them because they were the ones that were right there with the Cavs at the end to possibly go to the finals. 
there's no way a Celtics team would have been able to beat this Warriors team. And then when you have the added news of KD before the final saying, yeah, you know what, I'd take a pay cut to keep keep the core together. Mm -hmm. I'd take a pay cut. That, to me, just screams that this team is for real, and the only thing that is going to beat this team is a super team just like it with actual superstars, not just like LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, and then it's like K-Love. Well, I mean, you could say that Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, and LeBron James are superstars. I would say LeBron and Kyrie are there. I would say for the Cavs, if they get swept, K-Love's got to be out the door, and they got to be looking for an actual superstar. We'll talk about that after after the finals. But Dave, looking at that and kind of going off of what Ricky said, would it be kind of detrimental to the you know the, to the NBA? Would it kind of take away from the historic run of Golden State and just say, well, they kind of cheated? Or it's not you know they didn't build the team. They signed KD. They signed the second best player in the NBA, and it's it doesn't feel the same historic like it should. I, I don't know because I feel like when you look at the team, the majority of the talent is homegrown. Mm-hmm. It's they. I mean, KD put them over the top, but you got to remember the year before they were still a seventy-three win team, which is historic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just went and but got it doesn't mean anything better. about the ring. I know, I know. And this year they're going to get the ring. They may not have the most wins in the regular season, but that's because they didn't need to. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I don't feel like it's a shot or any, taking anything away from them. The fact that you know they had to go out and get KD to kind of topple LeBron and like just overcome every other team and just amazing fashion, just destroying them left and right. Um, but they did get help throughout the way. I mean, you have to remember all the injuries for the teams they faced. So it's not like it would have been, you know, a four-game blot against every team had everything gone, you know, the the way that they could have. Really, but... that Spurs game one, if that goes oh, differently, we're having a different story even coming are. into this. And then the series before that. And the mm-hmm. series before that, it was, I'm not saying anyone would have, you know, beat them out in a series, mm-hmm. but I'm saying they would have had challenges. They would have gone through and fought harder. Instead, we watched them just beat people back left and right and blow out teams all day. And I want to make it clear, like, I'm not mm-hmm. trying to take anything away from the Warriors because, Sean, like you had mentioned before we hit the record button, this is historic. What they are doing has never been done. The, the I've never seen it. The 13-0 and all the way through no up to this point. No one's ever seen it because it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the first time it's happened. And it's if they go 16 and 0 it mm-hmm. will be absolutely like we will be talking about this forever we will always be mentioning this nba championship team the one thing i think that will be most interesting for the league as a whole if they do sweep is if you're a guy in a small market gordon hayward i'm looking at you you're sitting there going yeah you know what i'm not going to win in the small town of utah i need to get out and well, play with people to win first off utah is not a town it's a state <laughs> um Town, state, whatever <laughs> you're you, in, Sean. the stadiums are in they, a town, Sean. They play in Salt, Fine, Lake, Salt Lake City. They, they play in Salt Lake City, which is in Utah, which <laughs> yeah. is a state. Um, anyways, um, what, I, what I did want to mention, though, um, was kind of going off of what you said. And it was kind of, you know, it is historic, but I think when we look back on it, it might be looking back on it in a negative cloud. Because, again, I... I well, depending I, on where you're from. Well, yeah. at least from my perspective, I'll probably look mm-hmm. on it in a negative cloud. Because what Dave mentioned, yes, you have Curry, you have uh, Draymond, you have Clay, homegrown talent. But you look at Durant and you added him onto what was already a historic team. And it's pretty much going back to what I said when KD signed with Golden State. 
and it was that he's taking the coward's way out. And, and that I think that, you know, you look at this team and you did have a historic team. You had 73 mm-hmm. wins. You had one of the best teams of all time in, in the regular season and then weren't able to capitalize. And then you go out and make a, a, you know, a huge signing, one of the biggest signings in NBA free agent history. And yes, you know, it, it was, you know, you go out and make it this huge splash. It's historic. Um, you know, we've never seen this big of a player um, you know, outside of LeBron moving, um, move to a different team and, yeah. and, and move to a team that he just lost to. So um, I look at this and I'll at least look at it negatively because I'll, I'll at least be saying, you know, it wasn't, it didn't feel the right way. You know, it didn't Do you feel, look it at didn't LeBron's feel like, three championships in Miami? No, but what I'm saying is like, like the 16 and 0 itself. Mm-hmm. The 16 and 0 itself. Two, um, two championships. Um, when, when I look at it, it's not like, you know, Larry Bird's team in 86. Like, you know, they mm-hmm. went, they went 16 and 0. Like that would have felt a little bit better. Like, like but it that wasn't, was in an era where. Players, no, but I, I was just using a team yeah. just in general. Like the Sp- San Antonio Spurs, like mm-hmm. the, you know, with the Manu, Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, they didn't go 16 mm-hmm. 0. Like it was something where, you know, this team could have probably went 16 0 with Clay, Draymond, Steph, uh, Chandra Livadala, and then, you know, that whole bench core that but they because had. Because they added. But Durant. then they added Katie, it just sours my taste a little See, bit. And I, I'll, I'll look back in a, in a negative cloud just because it's like, um, you know, yes, it's historic. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's that. But it kind of feels like you're putting the game a little bit on easy mode. Yeah. That's and it. I just, I sit here and go two things. First off, should we blame the Warriors for having a having the chance to add Durant no. and B going for it? No. Should we blame Durant? Like the I love the quote that he said where he's like, "So I'm the blame because the Orlando Magic couldn't make the playoffs." Like yeah. that to me just made me laugh. KD's uh, is just a fast sh- breakwalker. Sh- That's sh- all it is. Should we blame KD us. for wanting to go play with the Warriors? No. I to me, I look at this. Let's say they do go sixteen and zero. I would not look at it in a negative plight towards the Warriors because when it comes to KD, and even at the time, I was for it. I was like, okay, you know what? This is shocking, but I'm not against it because I'm all for for players. If you want to move out of somewhere, mm-hmm. you should be able to move. You shouldn't be trapped within a team, within an organization you don't want to be a part no, of. For, for sure. I, I yeah. it's, Again, it's just I look back at it and be like, oh, you know, what could have been. Because you, you wanted you more competition. It, it, that's, yeah. that's the thing. It's, As you a look viewer. Back, yes, you have fantastic you know, solo performances, the rise of Joel Embiid, Russ, James Harden, uh, Kawhi's amazing performance. You have all of this in the regular season, but then you look at it and it's like, well, what was this, what was this all for? We didn't, right. we didn't go anywhere because Russ was out in the first round. James Harden was out in the second round, right? Um, you look at Kawhi, he got injured and could have been able to beat the Warriors, but he mm-hmm. went down and we didn't know what really could happen there. Um, you look at Joel Embiid, he got hurt as well. Sorry, Dave. Um, yep. it, it's just something where you look at it and it's all just kind of soured where you're, you're not able to see the true potential of this. Um, so it, it kind of sours my mouth, but let's go a little away from the historic uh, kind of ramifications and go to Game 2 and talk a little bit about Game 2 because looking at Game 1, the Cavs obviously lost by a large amount, but I look at you know last year's and also this year's regular season game. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, there was two close games pretty much in the past. What was it? Seven to in ten games between between the Warriors. There's been two close games. Yeah. Obviously, Game Seven of last year's finals, and then uh, the first meeting on Christmas Day where the Cavs won uh, 109-108. Outside of that, it's been blowouts left and right. You look at this year. Um, obviously, uh, the last game one thirteen to ninety one. Then 126-91 in the second meeting where Golden State won. Then you look at last year, 104 89 110-77, 120-90, 108-97, 112-97, 115-101. I mean, there was just blowouts consistently. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's something to worry about if you are the Cavs because you have proven that you're being able to beat this team four times um, out of the past ten games. I mean, that's something where, um, or, I'm sorry, five, five times out of the past ten games you've been able to split. Um, so looking at this, I'm not too worried about the blowout. 
Um, I'm more worried about the stats in this game and, and the way that they were not able to cover KD and not able to um, force turnovers on the defensive side, not able to move the ball around and effectively find shooters and find find people open. So looking at the Cavs, Dave, what is the big adjustment that the Cavs need to make? Is it mentally? Is it game plan wise? How are you going to attack this Warriors team that we are saying are on a historic run, whether you're looking at it a bad way? How do you attack this team? Honestly, you have to attack them by picking up your defense in the paint. It, to start this game off, they gave up so many free uh, offensive rebounds, mm-hmm. second chance points, and just clean drives through the lane. Uh, Tristan Thompson was absolutely just missing. I don't know what happened to him. Every time he was in the game, he looked like he didn't want to be playing down low on the post. He didn't look comfortable, and he wasn't being aggressive on the board. So, honestly, that's one of the most disappointing things. Like, just clearly off the bat, they got wrong. After that, I mean, shots not falling is something that you'll have to deal with every game. Shooters get hot and cold. Players like Corver, Darren Williams, um, even Shumpert. Like, it's just going to happen over time. But what happens when you're not playing good uh, defense and gain enough easy rebounds, and they were easy, like they literally just sold out and let them have rebounds, is the fact that second chance shots are going to kill you, and extra ball movement from the Warriors always leads to the open man, or gets them thinking about going to the open man, and they switch early and make poor decisions on the pick and roll. So it's to me, it's entirely defensive. The one thing offensively, I don't want to do too much, but like the one thing offensively is the turnovers, and they absolutely got killed on turnovers. They weren't taking care of the ball. Um, and I don't know if it was because of the pace of the game. They got like maybe it was a little too hyped up to get going, but it was just very sloppy, very sloppy play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at what you mentioned with turnovers: sixteen uh, turnover differential. Cleveland turned the ball mm-hmm. over twenty times. Golden State only turning it over four times. Um, however, you look at this. Um, somehow Cleveland, and I think this might be flipped. It says on ESPN, Cleveland had 21 points off turnovers, and then Golden State only had six points off turnovers, so I think they flipped it. Um, but you look at that, so you look at that uh, kind of just, you know huge margin there mm-hmm. on points off turnovers and what uh, Golden State was able to do, uh, turning those turnovers into points, um, that obviously had, had a big play into it. What outside of turnovers, what outside of um, defensively should you know the Cavs kind of be adjusting here when you were watching I game? I don't think there's anything outside of it, and the only reason I'm saying is my big point is defense. And the big difference, the reason why I say that is the big difference between these two teams is when I look at the Cavs, they're a team where we don't really focus on their defense all the time. It's always they're an offensive explosion team. LeBron can go off for this many. Kyrie can go off for this many. But when you look at the Warriors, not only are they a solid team offensively, they're also a solid team defensively so if you're not playing good defense against them a they're going to score points and b if you're a missing shots like dave said which always happens or if their defense is getting to you they're just going to up that lead more and more i look at the defense tristan thompson like dave said that's a worry stone for me because the what other player if you need him to come out what other player are you going to have down low yeah i made up another word screw me sean worry but, stone worry stone worry that's stone. what i was just saying I mean, it's fair though, but you have to think <laughs> Sean, of. I see Sean no, typing away. Sean, I can't let me get away I, I, I with that one. I completely agree with you because you, you look at Tristan Thompson. There's no one on, yeah. on their bench. There's um, like what you go throw Richard Jefferson out there to play. He had four the, boards the, in that's 22 the minutes. That's that's the thing. You look at what he did last year. The, mm-hmm. the, the impact and he the had last year. The reason why is because I mean, to me, the most important player in this game is Draymond Green. And I know you can say, well, Ricky Durant and Curry went off. No, it's what Green does, not only down low. He only had nine points, but still grabbed 
10 defensive rebounds, 11 overall, and was still able to force the game. And he defensively, he can go to different guys. He can play on the three-point arc. He can play down low. He's all over the place as a player. So to me, I look at him. I look at the team in general of their defense with the Warriors. Mm-hmm. And unless the Cavaliers up their defense... Yeah, they got some players that need to up their offense, too. But if they don't play more sound defensively, this is going to be a sweep. Well, I think the one thing is is not the rebounds itself and, and the amount of rebounds mm-hmm. each team was grabbing. It was really who was grabbing the rebounds, yeah. and that's the thing. I mean, you look yeah. at Kevin Love. Kevin Love, I mean, yes, he he, didn't, he wasn't fantastic offensively, but you look at what he did. 15 boards, 21 rebounds. That's still a good stat line there. And, and yes, K-Love wasn't the most effective shooting the ball. He wasn't the most effective being able to Clay space Thompson the floor. Thompson wrecked his day yeah. offensively. I mean, there's just... Something I I did not I knew Clay was a very good defender, mm-hmm. but even even though he couldn't contribute offensively and he's mm. had his struggles this postseason, especially with this um, defensively, he made Kevin Love so uncomfortable shooting the ball. The first shot didn't even hit rim, didn't hit backboard. He just airballed. Second one way off target as well. I mean, it was just watching him try to get going in this game and watching Klay Thompson not only on Kevin Love, but I noticed it most on Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I you talked about Draymond Green and not being there. I, Klay Thompson, He's Draymond Green, only both, six of them, points. both of them not shooting well, mm-hmm. but guess what? They made up for yep. it and then some on the defensive end. Well, that's the thing we kind of talked about, too, was was if Steph goes cold, if Klay goes cold, Durant needs to step up. Obviously, did. Yeah. No, Durant, no one's Durant going off. What, what I was going back to was it was the rebound again, and mm-hmm. it's not really the amount of rebo- rebounds. Um, obviously, you talked early. Um, Golden State was able to you know kind of set the tone physically, grab mm-hmm. offensive boards, um, and we made a huge thing of saying you know Zaza will be able to c- cover it. It was really Tristan Thompson and, and Kevin Love and mm-hmm. LeBron James. You look at the disparage. Uh, or, that's not a word. Disparity. But, d- disparity uh, between, you know, Caleb grabbing 21 boards, uh, LeBron grabbing 15, and then uh, Tristan Thompson grabbing four. And, and it's not something where Draymond's grabbing 10 boards because you look last year, Draymond averaged around 10 boards in the finals last yeah. year. It's still more when you look at Tristan Thompson, he's a guy that's going to be able to grab offensive boards and put it back up. He's going to be able to do that effectively. It's just something where he wasn't able to do that at all. He wasn't able to get any shots. He wasn't able to get any movement. And that's one thing where I look at that Cavs offense as a whole, and it's just movement in general because you look at this team and you look at what they're able to do. It's LeBron James is one of the greatest players of all time. And mm-hmm. it's LeBron James is able to create so much spacing with his athleticism, with his skill, with his speed, with his length. And it's just something where it wasn't quite there. And it's something that isn't really worrying me this huge blowout. I mean, 113-91, it's something that we saw last year. and something that I still stuck with the Cavs as much as it pained me in our game reactions because, it, you know, it, it, it just I, I just felt LeBron was able to get a break this. And, and something that we saw early in that series last year was a lot of turnovers from LeBron and not a lot of spacing and not a lot of movement. It's something where, over time, LeBron's abilities are going to be able to break that down. However, even if that happens, you have to look at the other players on on Cleveland. Kyle Korver, when he came over to Cleveland, he was shooting at historic levels. I mean, he was shooting yeah. at like mm-hmm. 52%. Obviously, that went down because no one's going to be able to shoot at that high a percentage throughout the whole season. But you look at what LeBron's able to do and what he's able to do for, for setting up shooters like Kyle Korver, like Kevin Love, like Kyrie Irving on the outside. As long as those players are able to make shots, it's going to go to six or, or seven games. I, I think going back to the, this first question of can the Warriors sweep, I don't think they will just because of LeBron James' ability. It's going back to last year. LeBron might get one. 
I think he can get more than one because, again, I think this is an overreaction because, yes, the turnovers are worrying. Yes, KD's uh, shooting ability and KD's ability to be open and KD and just his passing ability, underrated. Yeah, but, and, but then also, you I mean, KD just completely toasting LeBron yeah. in, in that first quarter, which is absolutely hilarious, just seeing LeBron uh, fall on the floor like that. <laughs> um, you, you look at that, though, and, and you look at you take this all at advantage. They're going to have their off days. Golden State is not something that they're going to be on every single night. They've been on for 29 straight games or 28 and 1 in their in their yeah. past 29 games. We know this from everybody. No matter how good a team is, how good a player is, you're going to hit cold streaks. And and, and yes, Kevin Durant was lights out and Kevin Durant has been lights out and Steph Curry was lights out. But there's something where Players like this and players like the Cleveland Cavaliers, players who have been here before, are not going to get rattled and not going to get shaken. I'm not saying the Cavs are winning this. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm still saying that there's going to be a fight. And it's not going to be a sweep. And I, I just I look at this, and Tristan Thompson's not going to grab only four boards. He's going to be able to put up over double digits uh, uh, grabbing boards and putting back up points. And he's going to be able to get you know a 10-10 and 10 game, a 14-14 and 14 game. K-Love grabbing 21 boards, that's not going to stay up there. K-Love's going to go down, but mm-hmm. you see, still see the offense production might go up. And the biggest thing that people are taking away is that LeBron had a bad game. The guy had, what, 24 points, 15 rebounds, and 8 assists, something like that. And you look at his turnovers, he had 8 turnovers. It's something there. He was forcing a lot of things. People were like, oh, he only had four, uh, he had 0 points in the fourth quarter. It's because he was trying to set up his teammates. He was trying to you know, force passes. He was trying to get something where mm-hmm. he wasn't the guy go-to guy because Golden State knew that the offense was going to run through him. So it's something where everyone will calm down, and Cleveland's at least going to get one in the queue. And that's something where I think that's where I'm going to leave my piece is that I think people need to settle down. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna be a sweep. If it happens, it's historic. I don't think it's gonna happen. To me, the most important Cavalier is Ty Lue. Coming into Game Two, he is the most important Cavalier because I'm looking going into Game Two right at Ty Lue, going, "What adjustments are you gonna make? What adjustments are you and this team going to make? Because something needs to happen." And I'm looking at it defensively because I look at, like you said, the. Obviously, most of the offense is going to come through LeBron and Kyrie, but Kevin Love, you got to get him going a little bit. Tristan Thompson, you got to get him going. J.R. Smith didn't have a good night. Kyle Korver, if he's off, you can't really have him in there because he's a defensive liability out there. So I'm looking at Ty Lue to go, okay, you saw game one. What adjustments are you going to make? What kind of mitch, what matches on the floor are you going to well, go with? And something too. I mean, Shump was Shump was you know pretty good last year as well. And, and you look at Shump. Shump had an off game. Uh, Darren Williams, as we mentioned before the podcast, um, I think Eddie House mentioned he wasn't getting any elevation well, on his jump shot, and it just went something where Darren Williams looked old out there. It's something where these players just weren't ready, and I think they'll be ready soon. And the one thing I like that Eddie House mentioned on the herd today he goes, if I'm Cleveland, I am forcing Curry to go through screens and like when he goes through it really make him go through that screen so you tire curry out and by the end of it it's you're that's one of the main reasons you're going to beat the warriors if you tire curry out and then he can't shoot because his legs are tired. I mean, that that's a fair thing to do, but it, with the way these games are being called from the refs mm-hmm. is, is the biggest question to me because we see them getting a little more play and a little more physical than we'd seen earlier throughout the playoffs. So, As it happens though, with the finals. And, and, I'm, and I'm fine with that. It was just like, it was kind of confusing because LeBron James had early success driving through the lane and getting fouls, and then all of a sudden he took his game away from there. I don't know if it was because of the fact that he 
felt like he wasn't getting enough for his money with the amount of contact he was drawing on other plays. Mm -hmm. But I think that the game for Cleveland lives and dives with LeBron James creating and creating through uh, his own contact in the lane because unless he's drawing people into him, people aren't going to get looks, and he wasn't able to set up people the way he normally does. Well, and I think that plays into a factor, too, when you're saying he's taking a lot of contact when he's driving early. That's something where he might want to start creating early and then driving later. Because, you know, he's something where he can keep that stamina, keep that, you know, explosive step late into the game and blow by guys who are tired. Blow by a guy like Curry who, if you are, you know, hitting him hard on screens, then you're able to get by him and, and attack in the lane. And that's something that we usually see when LeBron's confident and LeBron's comfortable. He's usually setting up first and then attacking later. We see a ton in the Eastern Conference Finals. You're like, oh, where's, where's LeBron in the fourth quarter? And then by the, you know, where's LeBron in the first quarter? And by the fourth quarter, he's having like a 35, 10, and 10 he's game. He's already taking care of himself. So it's yeah. something where I, I think the biggest adjustment for the Cavs is, yes, defensively they need to put more pressure on, on Kevin Durant, but I think they'll come with it. I think you know LeBron will step up. LeBron will be able to, I mean, if they move him over, LeBron over to KD, which I think they should, um, and, and, and force KD, and force LeBron and KD to be matched up, which mostly you know LeBron was on KD. But um, I, I think that you know LeBron will be able to pick up his defense. I think LeBron was probably more worried with everybody else, um, and then obviously KD burned him. Um, so I think it's something where LeBron obviously needs to step up, but I don't think LeBron had a bad game in any sense of it. I just think LeBron needs to play LeBron's game and not try to beat the Warriors because that was one thing where the Warriors weren't able to stop LeBron at all when he was playing his game, but they were able to beat LeBron when he was trying to beat the Warriors. As soon as the game sped up, yeah, you nailed it. It, it was Warriors ball, and they just know what to do. They, they have that quick pace offense. They have everything it takes to run at their speed. So uh, I'm with you. Cavs need to play their ball. Final questions, boys. Who is winning game two? I'm going Warriors. The Warriors, unless I'm proven wrong until I see it, they're winning every game at the Oracle. I really like that because he said that last year. So <laughs> there you go. Um, is it a blowout? Yes. If the Warriors are winning at the Oracle, it's going to be a blowout. Right. Dave? Yeah, 15-point win Warriors. Right. I will say Warriors win, but I'll say it's by seven. I, I still think that— Single digits. Bold. I, I, it's bold <laughs> here in the playoffs to say that a, single di- a seven-digit win is, is, is What's very What's the line tight. on that game? Um, I don't want to know right now. Um, but I, I think that—I I don't think it's going to be a sweep. I think that the Warriors are going to be uh, playing their game. I still think they're, they're going to win, but I think it's something where— Home court will be very crucial, and obviously last year was very, very crucial uh, for both teams. So we will see what happens uh, on Sunday. Tell us who you think is going to win Game 2. Um, is it going to be the Cavs? Is it going to be the Warriors? Let us know down in the comments below. But anyways, let's move on now to our boy Adam Silver, the NBA commish, was recently on Colin Cowherd's radio program called The Herd, and he uh, was asked about the one-and-done rule, and Adam Silver said, My sense, it's not working for anyone. Um, it's not working for the college coaches and athletic directors. I hear from them. They're not happy with the current system, and I know our teams aren't happy either, in part because they don't necessarily think the players who are coming into the league are getting the kind of training that they would expect to see. So really, he's summing up by it's not working for the players, it's not working for the coaches. The only thing that's working for is college basketball and the people who promote college basketball and the games. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously March Madness. So um, looking at this, um, we've talked about the one and done rule before, but we've never had a real uh, statement from Adam Silver, a, a person in this much power, um, especially saying like, yeah, I want to get rid of the rule. So if the NBA got rid of the rule, how much of an effect would it have on not only the draft, but just in the NBA in general? I don't think it would have as much of an effect as we all think so. I just think it would give a lot more players more options. Because if we get rid of the one and done, how I'm looking at it is 
if you're a player that says, you know what, I'm good, I'm a, like, I'm using LeBron James because he's mm-hmm. one of those. Yeah. Oh, I'm a LeBron James. I'm a Kobe Bryant. I'm a Kevin Garnett. I can come out of high school and play in the NBA. Sure, go ahead. But if you're if you're a player to me that's like, yeah, I could technically go to the NBA draft, like a Miles Bridges, a but you know what? I want to go to college. I want to up my game. You can do that. You can even go to the G League. You can go overseas. It just opens up opportunities for players to where you're not just kind of linked into, I have to go to college for a year to get to the NBA. Yeah, I think that's the one thing where people are kind of uh, you know missing the mark here is where um, it will benefit uh, players in general. I mean, mm-hmm. it'll benefit a guy like Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons you know, need to go to college. He would have been great just going straight into the NBA. But you, one thing I don't, I forget who said it. Um, it might have been Kyle and Kyle Hurd, but it's like you know, you look at this year's draft class and a guy like um, you know Laurie Marketing or a guy like um, you know um, um, Jonathan Isaac. You know, he might not have the pull as a Markel Fultz, uh, the pull of Alonzo Ball. So he would have to go to college and put up his rank because you know if Laurie Marketing didn't play the way he did in college, we might not see him as a top 10 pick you know we, we might not see a guy who's risen up the boards like a Zach Collins be a top 10 pick or be a be a top 15 be a lottery pick so you know obviously you're still going to see players go to college people players grow in college like you mentioned Miles Bridges stay in mm-hmm. college but you see the you know hyper athletic guys Josh Jackson Lonzo Ball Markel Fultz come out and you know, Lonzo wouldn't have had to go to go to College, no, he could have no. came right in. He, he and his dad wouldn't have mm-hmm. made him go to college. He would have put <laughs> yeah. him straight in the he NBA. He wouldn't have went to LSU, and LSU would have been crap this year. Uh, UCLA, UCLA. Anyways, that's um, how much crap they would have been. I just it, called them USC. And you called them oh, LSU. No. <laughs> He's on the Ben Simmons hate train still. Anyways, um, but looking at this, I don't think it's going to have a huge effect. But I, I do like that Adam Silver's doing mm-hmm. this because um, you, you look at constantly. I mean, Thon Maker too. I mean, he, he went through trouble just to just to enter the NBA draft. I mean, there's people that just college is not or college is not right for them. And, and it's like I already know I'm going to the NBA. Carl Anthony Towns mm-hmm. is probably like I know I'm going to the NBA. Well, why Why do I need to go to college? At all? And basketball is a little bit different. Where the one thing when I talked about this for the college side on the primetime podcast this week. The thing that I even mentioned was the big thing that everyone talked about is, well, the NFL, you, you have to stay three years in the NFL. Why shouldn't it be similar for the NBA? And the big thing I think of is the NBA and basketball is different. I can come out at 18, mm-hmm. and if I am have obviously the body and the skill, I can compete in the NBA, whereas – if you're coming out of high school at 18, I'm not throwing you on a football field with NFL pros because you will get murdered. Yeah. You will get destroyed, and you need to beef up and really become a man body-wise in those three years of college is really the main reason why they don't throw high school kids out there onto the field right after graduation. But with the NBA, they've also, Adam Silver also mentioned how there's the talk to get rid of it, but there's also the talk to say, Hey, maybe two years in college, and I'm I lean more towards if you're going to touch the one and done rule, get rid of it mm-hmm. and just open it up. Let all the flexibility go to the player, to the athlete, to where they want to go. And I'm completely on your side too. I mean, you look yeah. at you look at you know this whole thing. I mean, I think he even mentioned it too. Ben Simmons was a guy he knew he was going to the mm-hmm. NBA. He didn't care about college. He wasn't there for college. He was there for basketball. He was there just mm-hmm. to. Do his time so he can go to the NBA and make money. I mean, that's and what... then we get the conversation of, well, he doesn't care. His team didn't make the tournament, and really, that is not good for the prospect coming out of college because it puts a negative lens on him. 
And then also it's not good for the product of college basketball because you don't have one of your top players that you're marketing even in the tournament, even trying to make the tournament. Well, I think it's one thing where I don't think Ben Simmons would have cared if he made the tournament or not. I he think didn't. It's a, no, but that's what I'm saying. It's I know mm-hmm. he didn't, but I'm just saying like that's something had, where yeah, yeah. It's, it's something where he didn't care if he made it or not. And even if he did, it was more of he, he went to LSU, a, you know, not a typical powerhouse. They even made the NIT, and he was like, Nah, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at this, and, and Dave, I want to get your opinion on that. I mean, because you're kind of a guy who who likes to look back a little bit, and and mm-hmm. look at let's look back at 2016. Um, say you know they they got rid of the one and done rule that year, um, but Ben Simmons still went to college and stuff like that. So you could have a guy like Markel Fultz. This this whole this this whole draft class yeah. that we're looking out of came out in high school. Um, you're looking at Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown, Dragon Bender, Chris Dunn. Those five players. Like how many of the players we're looking at now would be top picks if they came right away? So you're looking at Markel Fultz. You're looking at Lonzo Ball. Looking at this, like, yeah. w- would you be more inclined to take a 19 year old that had a year in college or a star like Markel Fultz who did? play in college how would he adjust to you know playing around his you know different teammates no. playing in a, a high level situation like that it's such a rough position because the nba draft is almost weighed unfairly towards potential rather than what have you done for me lately mm-hmm. it's entirely off of where is your potential top end how how great could you be if all the stars align in the right order and that is why the younger that they can get people the better they feel like that we haven't seen them scrape their top end yet. We're not even close. This is like a guy who, like, if we take Lonzo Ball and his high school um, performance mm-hmm. and what he was able to do there, and we're like, well, we have an elite passer, wonky shot, but good shooter still, and he looks like he could be long enough and strong enough to be, you know, body style of an next Jason Kidd type player. Yeah, I could see him going one or two again. Like, out of the, all the names he listed, I could still see him right there, one or two. Like, not even a question. It just, it's the earlier you can get to them because we do have such a good foundation in America for um, young uh, youth basketball with mm-hmm. a with all the travel leagues, with all of the high level competition available to them. Um, but the problem is in the in the coaching. Actually, it's a lot of these coaches don't necessarily give the benefit of that or the best possible results out there for all the kids they sort of shine it on one or two kids on their team to ride them to success so i think that if you can get a guy at 18 coming onto your team at a basketball level and get your trainers with them you have a better belief in my guys are with them we're going to get him up and running to the top end potential rather than let him go to college for a year and work under a college system where he's splitting time he's not going to devote 100 percent time to basketball so i feel like it, it weighs heavier to go towards mm-hmm. a younger kid who hasn't been uh, through another year of college like that. Well, that, that's something I want to mention because I'm looking at the uh, top 100 uh, of high school recruits before they came into college. And, and these are the guys that we're looking at now. Uh, Mark Helfold, Terry Giles, all these guys. The number one player ranked that year was Harry Giles, got a grade in 97, obviously went to Duke. Yep. And now mm-hmm. we're seeing Harry Giles where he's a guy well, he with injury problems. Well, he had injuries coming into high school, yeah, too. Yeah, I mean, those we, are, we knew those about are it. The issues. issues that he had yeah. in college as well. You know, obviously these are things that, you know, and, and we see Harry Giles then play in college, and it's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, this guy might be a late lottery pick now because of, of his hindrance. You look at a guy like Markel Fultz, who you know probably the unanimous or you know probably the if you're the, the majority yeah. of people would take him number one overall. He was ranked seventh. Then you look at a guy like Frank Jackson at ten. He's not a guy that's I, I don't know if he even declared for the lottery because he didn't get that much playing time at Duke. So you see the the change that could happen in one year. Um, Ricky, would you like looking at at this as a high school player? Say you're a guy like mm-hmm. a, a, a Jason Tatum or you know one of these players um, and had athletic skill. Um, would you say um, you know you know 
going to the NBA is great. Uh, I'm going to go right away, or would I, you know, a guy like Jason Tatum, I'm going to go play for Coach K, get some experience in some type of an NBA level, and, and at least play against some of my peers, show it off, and try to improve myself. Would you, like, what, would, I, what kind of fence are you on? I think it's a little overreactionary to say just because we're getting rid of the one and done rule means that everyone's going to say, nope, I got to come right out of high school. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a flood. And what I think we'll go back to, it's going to take time to get there because. Right now, and the big thing where Adam Silver mentioned, talking to the coaches, college coaches don't like the system, the NBA coaches don't like the system, because right now what is happening is kids are going to college, they're just playing that year, and then they're coming to the NBA. And I know, Dave, you mentioned, like, oh, it's all about potential and everything, but if a because we have a flood of one-and-donners right now, I kind of feel like... We have to draft on potential. We're going to draft this kid. Like, we talk about Markel Fultz in Boston quite a lot. And what we're talking about is not drafting Markel Fultz, what is he going to be year one. We're saying, oh, draft him, and then in three and four years, he'll be where you want him to be. I think what we will get back to is after a few years of not having the one and done, if it gets axed, is... There will be some kids that come out that feel like, you know what, I don't have to go to college. I can come out straight from high school. But we will see more of the, like I look in 2005, in the top five, we didn't have, we had one freshman, and that was Marvin Williams. The rest were sophomore Andrew Bogut, junior Darren Williams, sophomore Chris Paul. You go 2004, and besides Dwight, who was one of those that came out of high school, in the top five, the only other person that wasn't a junior in college was Sean Livingston, who came from Peoria High School. Then go back to 2003. That's when, obviously, we had Darko and LeBron 1-1. One and one. Who? Darko Milicic. Some would say the best out of the uh, no, top five there. I know that one. There. Who was the other one? LeBron James. Okay. Just a nobody. I don't LeBron know James. And that's where we see kind of a little more one-and-dones with Melo and Bosch coming out one. But D. Wade was a junior. Kamen was a junior. Kurt Heinrich was a senior. I think that some of these NBA teams, because we will have the kids staying that actually want to be there, there might be some that develop where they go, hey, you know what, I want to take this guy because he is more developed and he's had that two to three years that if I draft this 18-year-old, that 18-year-old's just going to have to do that here on my team. And that's pretty much something that I want to get to is you know, we look at a guy like Buddy Heald. Comes mm-hmm. out junior. He's the one we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Guy comes out junior, pretty much ready. Or he was a senior, sorry. He was senior, mm-hmm. comes out. Wooden award um, winner. Wooden award winner. Yeah, uh, ready, ready to go. He's a top 10 pick. And, and obviously, we, we see the growth that he's had in Sacramento um, once he was traded over. I mean, he was mm-hmm. shooting over 43%, really comfortable in the, in the system he was in. Um, is in that looking at one and duns, would or sorry, looking at high school players going in, um, and looking at the high bust rate, or it's pretty much a hit or miss if you're if you're if you're drafting a kid top five, yeah. if you're drafting a kid high school kid top five, it's pretty much hit or miss. Um, are are you more worried about the the team picking them? Are you more worried about the players' decision to come out? Are you, are you like how looking at this whole thing? High school coming situation, out. It's all situation because I also throw in this is one that I know Celtic fans are happy to throw right in our faces is Jalen Brown. You look at Jalen Brown at the end of the year, not exactly what we thought he would be when he was drafted in 2016. But yet again, you look at it, what team is he playing for? What situation is he in? Put Jalen Brown on, I don't know, the Phoenix Suns or even the Pelicans like Buddy Heald is in. Will he have that similar kind of success that he had? I know it wasn't like amazing success, 
but that success that he had late in the year, and then Buddy Heald, like you said, once he moved over to the Kings. Well, and then looking at like high school players, yeah. Dave, I'll, I'll get another example you could throw out there is when Amari Stoudemire uh, went ninth overall, drafted by the Suns, and then they got Steve Nash, mm-hmm. falls into a position where he fits into the D'Antoni offense, mm-hmm. he's able to fit there, uh, able to fit off of Nash's pick and roll, yep. really thrives in, in that situation, and then obviously once Amari left, really didn't thrive anywhere else, and he really thrived in that situation there in, in, in Phoenix. So it's it's pretty much... Pretty much, I mean, what I'm trying to get to is there's not really a difference between a college player and a high schooler because if well, there if, is, there well, is no, a, what I'm saying is, is, is <laughs> depends on who it is. If you're LeBron no, but James, what I'm saying, no, what, not. what I'm saying is, you know, obviously outside of talent, you know, if a if a guy goes into um, high, if he comes out of high school and, and same player goes into high yep. school or goes straight into the NBA draft as a high schooler or goes in uh, to the NBA draft as a sophomore. It doesn't matter, you know, you could be a Jalen Brown and or you could be a Markel Fultz right now and get drafted by a playoff team and be put in a great mm-hmm. situation, or you can go to the fucking Nets. So, like, there's a thing where, you know, it's just really the situation that matters and not yeah. the player because, you know, you could be drafting a player and, yes, you might not see a ton out of him in high school or, or you might see a ton of him in high school and not, you know, wonder how that adjusts over. But as long as you're able to coach him, as long as he wants to be there, as long as he has the drive, he's pretty much going to end up as a great player because you see the potential. It's, it's pretty much easy to see the potential that you saw in these high schoolers and, and how they, you know, transfer that over to college. So, um, is the one and done? Is are we kind of making too big of a deal? Like, like Ricky's saying? No, I, I think in an ideal world, what you said works out. And you know, if if a player has you know potential up to here, regardless of whatever situation, eventually they will get to there. And I, ideally, yes, most situations don't work out that way. Honestly, my biggest concern for the one and done rule you're talking about, you know, kids in high school and decision making there is I, I don't like how scummy it got like towards the end of the one and done or before the mm-hmm. one done rule was made where, you know, from 95 on where we had agents going to high school games and, you know, trying to lure in uh, kids into being like, oh, dude, you're going to be in the NBA draft. You'd be a top pick. You should sign with me. I'll toss you some money up front now. And, you know, we'll get into business before we can. So mm-hmm. instead of having and, that at the high school level, we just moved it to the college level. And, and well, but the difference <laughs> we moved is it up a year. The That's difference is at the high school level, mm-hmm. I feel like there's another level of separation. There's another level of protection in mm-hmm. college versus the high school level. And personally, I feel like they're better. The older you are, the better you can deal with situations. Mm-hmm. It's just experience throughout life. And I mean, so, I know this is a football reference. I was going to make the joke unless Pete Carroll's your coach. Yeah. Yeah. And he'll hook you up then. Yeah. He'll hook he you got up your back. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, honestly, like for me, it, it's more so just the fact that I, I think it's in the player's best interest if they're a fantastic, um, like if they're a top five player in high school then, yeah, they should be able to qualify to go to the NBA draft, but it shouldn't be open to all high schoolers because I, I can see kids throwing away, you know, potential college scholarship, like, full-ride deals because they were told that they had a shot at being in the NBA draft. Well, and that's one thing that I want to bring up, and it's it's something that uh, there's a great documentary about Lenny Cook, and uh, it, was, it was shown on ESPN. This is where I saw it. Um, Lenny Cook was a guy who came out in 2002, mm-hmm. undrafted shooting guard, um, had offers on the table from North Carolina, Seton Hall, St. John's, Miami, Ohio State, and just turned him down and go to the went to the NBA draft. Um, you know, agents were promising that he, uh, you know, dozen teams were wanting him, seriously considering him. Uh, they guarantee you'd be first round. Then goes undrafted, and then he pretty much falls off because you know he he, he just wasn't able to survive. I mean, this was a, a high school kid not being able to make it as on his own. He was just mm-hmm. thrown out to the to the wind. I mean, that's something that you know it, it's. I think what, what, what really the thing is is that the NBA needs to do a good job of, like you're saying. 
make sure the risk is known to these kids that hey mm-hmm. you know you can't trust everybody that's saying you're going to be the you know the next great you can't buy into your own hype because a lot of these kids are going to be like um you know Alonzo Ball a guy that I'm not you know saying that he doesn't mm-hmm. have talent but Alonzo Ball a guy that has a dad that's pushing him you're going to be the next greatest player of all time you know you're going to be a, a, a fucking stud you're going to be amazing and Alonzo's like well my dad's saying this and I'm you know tearing up high school ball big fish little seat man why can't, why can't I do it and he goes in and then teams are like well he's got an awkward shot he's can't really score. He's scoring against kind of bums out in California, so I don't know. We'll pass on him. So it's something where I think the NBA needs to do a good job, and I think they have done a good job with this new uh, adjustment where kids can declare themselves, go try out, and then pull out. If it's they don't a step feel in the right direction. So I like that, and I think that's going to help um, high school kids. Um, anyways. I wonder if they do kind of a pseudo that. Let's say they get rid of the one and done, where they could have it to where, let's say, person X, okay, I've committed to um, such Duke. and such school for next year, Duke. Okay, but I'm going to declare for the draft. And if there's going to be a certain like workaround where the NBA says, okay, yeah, you can declare for the draft, and just like a person that would and can back out, you can still buy that deadline. I wonder if colleges would be okay with, okay, you're committed. But if you commit, you're mine and not Do you lose your eligibility I, I, by committing or, is the question. Or are we going to have coaches that say, oh, you're going to declare for the draft? We pulled your offer. You can no longer I, I commit. I think it's something where that might be stated. Mm-hmm. It might be It, it might be difficult um, because, you know, obviously deadlines of pulling, being able to pull out of school. But mm-hmm. still, um, if you're making your intentions clear, like, hey, Coach K, I'm going to declare myself eligible. If not, I'm coming to Duke. Like, yeah. maybe that's something. But then again, do you have to declare at a certain time for colleges? I mean, uh, well, obviously. national no, for the— It's May 1st. Yeah. That's so, but the, the problem is, is, you know, if they have X people on their list and they've got signings from everybody but one, and it's down to, well, I can wait two months to see if this kid's going to go to the draft— mm-hmm. Or I can get a for sure top but, 150 player. But I think what we're talking about is like, you know, you look at Harry Giles was number one. And he was, if he goes to Coach K and say, hey, Coach K, I might go to the NBA draft. I'm not sure. I think Coach K is like, yeah, we'll hold the roster spot for you. Because well, this was a kid who was the number one touted prospect. Yeah. I, and I think the using... biggest problem is the fact that the NBA and college basketball aren't on the same page. Uh-huh. And because they're well, different. They'll, or, they'll never be. I know, but I'm saying money. they're different organizations mm-hmm. with different mm-hmm. goals in mind. So. Because one is completely dependent on the other, and it is an interesting relationship the way it works out, uh, I, they do need to have some level of cooperation to plan this going forward because if the NBA decides to make the rule, you have to be 20 in order mm-hmm. to come to the NBA. Well, that even, that just benefits. That benefits college basketball. Yeah. And if they do it the other way and say 18 works mm-hmm. and we don't care if you take a year off or not, it's just if you're 18 years old, you can jump in the draft. But then kids could lose their college eligibility mm-hmm. to play D1 ball because they were told by some agent that, mm-hmm. oh, you're going to get drafted. Well, you're not. And I think the whole thing we're coming down to, and I know that each situation is different and it's very easy for some people to, like Sean, you mentioned it, believe in their hype. Mm-hmm. It's going to come down to you need to make the decision. Like if I'm coming out of high school and I'm going to go to the NBA, I need to make that decision. Am I going to take this risk? Or am I going to go to a college? Maybe the NBA says, hey, you know what? You can go to the draft, but if you don't want to go to college, but you don't feel like you're good enough for the draft, how are they going to make the G League? They could develop that G League into like their own pseudo minor leagues. Like yeah, they but, actually then, pay but then again, to survive. he still wants to pick them up. 
a team will still have to pick him up. So if he goes undrafted, a team's still yeah. going to have to be like, yeah, we want you on our team. I mean, not every minor leaguer mm-hmm. in, in baseball is like, oh, yeah, hey, uh, you know, I'll go to the draft. If not, just put me on one of your minor league teams. Like, a team has to yeah. want you. So that's something that... Uh, yeah, but I feel out. like a team. I feel like a team would be more inclined to pick up an 18 year old kid and take a flyer on him if it's like, hey, we're gonna pay you, like yeah. Dave said, enough to live and throw you in the D league, but you're ours. I would take that more than okay, I'm drafting you, and you're on my NBA roster because the one example I was gonna throw out is even look at 2015, Carl Anthony Towns. I kind of want to give that like he was the rookie of the year. He's just that Minnesota team hasn't hit their stride. But you look at D'Angelo Russell and Julio Okafor, both one and Dunners, both haven't lived up to the hype that they were coming out. Mm. However, the guy drafted at four that everyone bitched at Phil Jackson that he took, who played overseas a couple of years and actually developed, is a guy that we're looking at with more promise, definitely more so than Ja and D'Lo. I don't know. I, I think Ja is fair, but then you look at at Chris Stops at something where people didn't have that high expectations, and then he exceeded those expectations. Now I think those expectations have been brought down a little bit because of the situation with New York. And well, you look at you look at L.A. So with the Knicks. you look at L.A. D'Angelo Russell, he's just in a shit situation, and people always saw it as shit situation, shit situation because of Kobe. So. Um, I think, I don't know. I understand what you're saying there. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyways, final thoughts uh, on this. I think that it's good that the one and done rule has been uh, kind of, is hopefully going to be relaxed and kind of taken away because I think it's going to be good for. Just get rid of it. I think it's going to be good for the NBA draft. But you mentioned D'Angelo Russell, and somehow he plays into this next topic of what the 76ers should do with their third overall pick in the 2017 NBA draft. Uh, We're bringing this one up right now, and it's because of our last topic, last week's topic, of how did the Los Angeles Lakers build around Brandon Ingram. And in there, uh, Ben Williams mentioned something saying, draft Lonzo Ball or or Fox with number two with Luke System, then move D'Angelo Russell to Philly for their third pick to take Josh Jackson. And it's something where you're, you're raising this, and uh, there's been a lot of talk of who the 76ers should pick, but then also should they trade the pick? A lot of Sixers fans wanting them to move down uh, with Sacramento getting mm-hmm. the fifth and tenth. I don't know if that's really feasible. I don't even know if D'Angelo Russell for the third overall pick is feasible and if Philly would be able to do that uh, or want to do that, and even if that would be the pick straight up because I think that uh, Philly would be getting fucked with that trade mm-hmm. um, if they're you know trading the third overall pick for D'Angelo Russell. But looking at this, um, it kind of brings the question, a lot of options in Philly. Um, you have Ben Simmons, you have Joel Embiid, you have Dario Saric, you have Julio uh, Okafor. What they should do with that third overall pick. So, Ricky, looking at what the options are, trade, pick, what should they do? I I feel like just make the pick. Like, take whichever prospect you think is the one that's for you, whether that's Josh Jackson, whether that's Jason Tatum, whether that's De'Aaron Fox. I know that I've seen some things in the comment section where it's like, well, we can just you know, just trade back and um, we'll get whatever point guard that we get. Mm-hmm. Well, really to me, if you're thinking of that, you're either A, thinking you're going to make a deal with the Dallas Mavericks or you're trading for that number five pick with the Kings because to me, the point guards right now, if you don't take one at three, the point well, the guards are two. going to the Kings, to the Knicks, and to the Mavs. Those mm-hmm. are where the three point guards are going. So even if you get the 10th pick, you're sitting there going, well, are we going to reach for a point guard? Are we going to go ahead and draft at need? I just say keep the pick, draft what you want, draft the best player on your board, and just move right along trusting the process. 
It's hard to argue with trust in the process, man. It's a big believer <laughs> well, in the if process. I, if I say something like, you know, just trade uh, Joel and be trade Ben Simmons, trust in the process, does it still work? No. Okay, you can't no. just say trust in the process. But he, he, trust in the process Ricky, of... I, I don't think yeah. Ricky's pissing off people in the comments is what I'm no. saying. With, what no, like, not yet. Not. Usually I am. <laughs> say, not yet. He's Usually not. you are. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Just your face gives it. No, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the that's punchable me. one. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I think... guys. <laughs> I think that it, it's not far-fetched to say that uh, keeping the pick's a bad idea because you will get, you know, obviously your first or second choice at somebody, uh, whether it is a guard or Josh Jackson... Um, the the big thing here is how reasonable is it to expect that trade down? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the one that's been thrown out the most is the Kings won the five ten combo. Um, the other one, Bill Simmons being crazy with his swap. You know, like uh, Markel Fultz to the Sixers, uh, Dario next year's first and this year's pick to the Celtics. Like it gets to a cluster level of like Bill Simmons, like Jerry Colangelo's firstborn grandchild. Pretty much. I mean, it's Bill Simmons trade. So mm-hmm. take it as what, whatever it is. But um, honestly, their, their best move. Uh, and I, I kind of want to say it might not be too crazy. You mentioned D'Angelo Russell. Like if they could work a deal to get D'Angelo for uh, the number three pick. And it, it depends on what else is involved okay. in that trade because straight up, I don't know if that would happen straight up. That's, 76ers are getting fucked. Yeah. You're 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 getting a 21-year-old uh and passing up on plenty full of 19-year-olds. You talked about yeah. it in the one and done. You're drafting on potential and what these players could become. Yeah. You look at D'Angelo Russell, not only are you getting less control, an older player, yes, more developed, but do you want a more developed player with Ben Simmons as your point guard? Don't you want the player he's next great... to him to develop with him? I know, you know, he's a great player, but still, yeah. wouldn't you want a player to develop alongside Ben Simmons and not have a player who's already shown to be selfish and not have the highest of character so far at D'Angelo Russell? Well, I, I, I mean, mean I look at... have a terrible character. He turned but... in his friend for, you know... Cheating on his wife, yeah, um, or whatever that was. But still, <laughs> you know, you look at him, and he, and he has caused problems before in a previous locker room. Yeah. Um, you have less control on a player that you're going to. No, I understand. Draft those are all knocks, and it just no. But what I'm just saying is, Philly straight up for D'Angelo Russell. I mean, if the Lake, if Philly's like, hey, Lakers, we'll trade you D, uh, D'Angelo Russell for the third overall pick. Taking that yeah. in a heartbeat. Yeah, Magic I mean, Johnson's not thinking twice. No, you you would you would you wouldn't blink with that. You would be able to take a guy like Malik Monk who's two years younger, has more control, will be able to develop with Monzo Ball. And, yes, that team might not be that good defensively, but still, <laughs> you, you have you have a younger nucleus no. there. And I think that's the thing is you have to match the timing and you have to match um, the progression of the players. And what they have done in recent years is, due to injuries, is a lot of guys haven't gotten as much playing time in their mm-hmm. first year so or second year. Uh, or because of Kobe. And Bede. <laughs> oh. I was going the other way. Yeah. yeah. So I think with the Sixers, yeah, probably probably the safest bet, le- least sexy is to keep the pick. Number two, I'd see if the Kings were up for a deal, if they really wanted. And that's the thing is like the Fox conversation is there, and it's definitely there for a reason because how well he performed to end out that tournament. But honestly, like I don't see the Kings pulling the trigger on that one because they've gotten screwed so many times by the Sixers in the past that they just got to be like, we're walking away from this one. Got a phone call from uh, Philadelphia. Uh-uh, well, not taking it. Some, somehow Nick Stauskas would be going back to Sacramento <laughs> on that trade. But the thing I want to mention before you jump in, Ricky, is mm-hmm. what I would do with the pick. Um, you keep it. Draft Josh Jackson. Still same reasoning as a mock draft. Best Josh Jackson's available. best p- player available. I know Malik Monk's a better fit, better f- 
uh, fit with that system. But then again, you're relying on two players who have shown injury problems before, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Josh Jackson could be a, a difference maker. Um, he's a player that has a lot of versatility, could be a guy that can be a fantastic scorer, and pairing that next to Ben Simmons could be fantastic. What we're going to say. There's one thing I would do before I do exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. I would pick up the phone. I would call the Phoenix Suns and try to sucker them into a trade to swap the three and the four. Just kind of a... What do you want for the three? A pick that Phoenix should have been in the top three but got bumped out because of the Kings. I'm trying to so sucker them into a trade. Like, how much do you want, Josh Jackson? Because okay. we're going to take So do you him. think the Sixers we're are gonna... calling, like, half the teams on in the league trying to be like, Maybe. so what's your price tag for uh, the number three? Like, how much would spe- you give us? If there's a team that has, like, if I found out that Josh Jackson was high on teams' radars, like I, uh, the Suns, I would mm-hmm. assume he is, I would be calling them up, going. So, how much do you want, Josh Jackson? Because we're gonna we're gonna take him, but I'm a nice guy, so I wanted to know what what the cost is mm-hmm. because I want you to have him too. And, and even though he's an up bad, Colin Coward was mentioning something along that lines of you know Boston should be saying they're picking Lonzo Ball just to it. just to mess with with Los I Angeles agree with because it. don't you know, let don't let or, or don't let Los Angeles sit pretty bad. Well, there. yeah, that's pretty much what you're saying. You mm-hmm. know, is, the, is any draft like, any draft is a ton of mind games, and that's where you got to start. Here feeling a little uh, dejected for the old Trubisky. Uh, play no well i just you, <laughs> i just feel like that's a little that coming is, into that here that is a yeah. completely different topic but i no, will but say just mind games like hey we, want, we might be taking a, san francisco was like hey same, we might be taking a, exactly. a, a quarterback at, at number two trade up it's the same here i'd be like it, i would be saying like hey we're gonna take josh jackson i know you really want him we might be able to uh work a deal what do you want for him what yeah. do you what do you want for josh jackson because if you can get the four and maybe even another pick, whether it's later, whether it's next year, anything that the Suns have. Or a player like Brandon Knight or Bledsoe. That might be a win. That really might be a win, too. Just that's not that's going away from trusting the process, though. But trust they them. aren't trusting the process. Sam Hankey is gone. I want trust and is the Colangelo days, which is why I could see that Stupid move happening. I'm just throwing Ping it out there. Ping pong balls saying, are more valuable than veterans, Dave. I'm just yes, saying. Yes, they are. <laughs> hey, what's her name? is a Mecca Okafer. Yes. I'm just, I'm just saying you need a point guard. They have Point guards are plenty. That's all mm-hmm. I was throwing out there. Or Tyler, oh, no. or Tyler Eulis, if that fits, floats your well, boat. They're, but, not, mm-hmm. they're not letting Eulis walk. But, but looking, I'm, gee, I'm just throwing <laughs> I'm it out there. I'm protecting Tyler Eulis. I'm Christ. sorry. Um, anyways, <laughs> away from that, um, looking at the 76ers, uh, we obviously think the best fit for them player-wise in this draft is Malik Monk. Um, uh, but best player available would be Josh Jackson, like Ricky was throwing out there. Um, looking at a trade, and, and say they, they somehow finagle that Kings move where they get the 5-10, and 10, What's the plan of attack then? Because we're saying they're you know passing on the third overall pick. They're passing on Malik mm-hmm. Monk. Um, well, possibly passing on Malik Monk for right so now. Basically, draft pick wise, they're giving up the three for the five and the ten. Yes, that's that's, that's the proposed deal. I don't know if the the value balances out on both sides. I have to toss something else. But yeah, yeah I would I would say the 76ers have to throw something in uh, to balance that out. But but just just straight up, don't think about it too hard. They just move to five and ten. Mm-hmm. The 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 Kings move up to three. Um, they pass on the choice of getting Josh Jackson, uh, Jason Tatum, and, and Monk and seeing who falls to them, and they, they sit at that 10th spot as well. So looking at that and, and what they would fall, how would you see this draft playing out at least for the 76ers and how this would go? Because you'd still see the Suns taking a small forward. We've talked plenty about the Kings possibly needing a small forward or a point guard, so mm-hmm. that would play into them. Maybe they go and reach for De'Aaron Fox there. Maybe not a reach, but they go up and get De'Aaron Fox. What would you see happening uh, 3, 4, and then 5, and then you know going later on to 10 after that. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I'm super conflicted here because I like De'Aaron Fox's fit with the Kings mm-hmm. much, much, much better than his fit with the 76ers. He's a primary there. ball handler. Terrible fit. I mean, he, he's not your outside shooter. So I think if there was a reason that the Kings wanted to go up and reach for Josh Jackson and, and make that deal for Josh Jackson at the three, that kind of plays really weirdly because I, I think that the 76ers still end up in like fairly good position because, yeah, JT's probably going to go four to the Suns. Um, I think we've all kind well, of... A... Well, if De'Aaron Fox goes three, then Josh Jackson most likely is going four. Well, and that's what I'm well, saying. Well, that's the question is, do they go for yeah. Josh Jackson at the three, or do they go for... Um, I think the Kings take Fox. De'Aaron Fox. Really? Which I think I was going to throw out would be a stupid move for the Kings because the way I'm looking at it is, yeah, the Sixers could take Fox, but I don't see them taking Fox, so I'll just sit there and take Fox at five. Why would I need to trade up? That's again? what I'm saying. They're going for Jackson because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't mm-hmm. think that they would reach up for Fox, yeah. but I think they would reach up for, for Jackson, Jackson because of his top end potential and knowing that the Sixers, and like the we Suns said, the fit him. is not great. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and the Suns have the Suns a clear yeah. need for him. So I, I think if they were doing it, it would have to be for Josh Jackson, and that the Sixers don't really suffer too much for that at all. Um, it, it just kind of turns into well, we can grab Monk at five, we can grab Isaac at five. We could do really whatever we want. Go back to Dennis Smith. I mean, I honestly, they have no problem taking any of those three guys. Wouldn't even blink an eye at that. And that kind of gives them more options. So I, I could see that working out really to the Sixers' benefit, but I feel like the Kings would just be, like, killing themselves yeah, if they and, went up for Jackson. And, and of course, I'm not, I'm not saying this trade should happen, will happen. I'm just saying if it does happen, right. what should be the plan of attack? Mm-hmm. And, and pretty much what we're laying out there is it should still be point guard or if Malik Monk's available, right? Because then at that point, Malik Monk well, would not be a reach. Malik Monk is falling into his position of like five to eight because that's the range I see Malik Monk yeah. going is, is that five to eight range. I don't think it's crazy saying Philadelphia trades back and takes Malik Monk because they're not reaching. You know, they're not right. You're going no, for I BPA and Josh Jackson. They're going for the fit in Malik Monk. Well, what it does is if the Kings move up, they take Josh Jackson, then Suns take JT. If I'm the 76ers, at five, then I would take Malik Monk because mm-hmm. I'd say, you know what, that fits more of a need than Fox, and kind of to go pseudo what has been in the comment section of our Laker video was, you know what, New York, Dallas, I'll let you guys settle it. You guys take who you want, I'll take the odd man out. You want Fox and Smith and give me Frank, I'll take it. You want Fox or um, Frank, give me Smith, I'll take it. You guys take who you want. And then I'll take the point guard who's left over at ten. But then that's the crazy thing where maybe the Sixers do move back again because maybe they're not sold and, on on a point guard and a team like maybe the Pistons are really mm-hmm. you know really thirsty to get a, a player and get a point guard there and they see a guy like Frank Dennis Smith, uh, De'Aaron Fox, whoever falls well, probably not De'Aaron Fox, whoever falls to that position, then they even trade back more. So I think I think th- what would be the best option all around for the 76ers mm-hmm. would be to trade back because then again it's magic value. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because on Liberty Ballers, which is the SB Nation site for the 76ers, make sure you're reading this website correctly. A, a guy that no, I'm just I'm saying just... a guy that they had mentioned in an article that um the 76ers could be on the look for, but it just depends on where he's going to go is Donovan Mitchell, who I mean he's listed as a shooting guard, mm. but the ringer has put it to where he can play point guard in the NBA. So that's a player that right now he's 18 on Tankathon's mock draft. 
well, if the Sixers at 10 look to trade back again, maybe that's a, hey, let's look if anyone wants to move well, up, and then we can just take De- Donovan Mitchell. That's second-round picks. If, mm-hmm. it, if, they flip, <laughs> if, they, if they flip a guy like Donovan Mitchell t- and, and you know they flip spots with at that 10 spot with the Pistons, we've talked about Donovan Mitchell possibly yeah. being mm-hmm. at that 12 spot. So that, that, that kind of plays out. Um, but then again, if you're taking Malik Monk, it kind of feels pointless yeah. to take a guy unless like Donovan Mitchell. Go- unless you're going to play Donovan Mitchell at that point guard and, position. I, I feel like that's going to take a lot of time to develop and, and plus but Which I you have, kinda, you have I, Ben Simmons but then again I kind of do like that fit then because mm-hmm. you don't have to you know he, he will be guarding point guards yep. instead of being a point guard mm-hmm. right terrible I actually kind of like yeah, that not good the job, worst thing good I've heard job, Ricky, Ricky. way it. better way better than that Bulls thing <laughs> yeah you know, that, that writer calling us out but um, final thoughts on the 76ers um, I think this is probably way better because I mean I, the weird thing I about keep, that just well, keep the pick. The weird thing about that Lakers topic is people are calling us yeah. homers. We're not Laker fans. Um, no. Well, I mean Dave and we're not has 70s. had Laker uh, biases in the past, and he's also had Seventy Sixers biases. Yeah, that's, I, that's why I'm even here. I'm balanced. <laughs> I believe you said it at some point. You just like rebuilds. I think you said it on the behind I, the pen. I love to. Just like I love rebuild. to see teams rebuild, and that's one of the most exciting things: is the NBA draft, the free agency, all these moves to see a team. And that's get why back Dave buys two K at the trade deadline. I do. I do <laughs> so, what, what would be the most exciting for their rebuild, then, Dave? And we'll, we'll end it on that. Most exciting, I think they just they go best player available, and they take mm-hmm. Josh Jackson there. It's a, it's the safest bet, um, and I think that. At this moment, you don't have your, you haven't decided if you have your superstar yet. Joel Embiid has shown what he can do, but only in short spurts, and he has injuries. Mm-hmm. Ben Simmons, we haven't seen him play at the NBA level yet, um, and honestly, after that, it's like not any, no one else on that team has stood out enough to me that says this is the anchor of our team, this is our builder mm-hmm. on point. So until I've seen that, I'm not going to not take best player available. Dario's a good player, definitely not an anchor. I, I completely agree. Ja, definitely not an anchor. So, no. yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, he's that, an anchor, but, like, in the, in the wrong way. I think it'd be smart to, to just keep the pick and, and go on. Uh, anyways, that's going to wrap up the Fast Break Podcast. Real quick, giving a shout-out to the 76ers because they ripped our video off YouTube and used it for the Twitter video, but it's cool, guys. <laughs> we know you watch. We know you're big fans. I mean, totally just didn't type in draft 76ers on YouTube and take the first video. Um, anyways, <laughs> that was our talk about the 76ers, the one and done and Warriors. Tell us your comments and thoughts uh, down in the comments below or reach out on Twitter yep. at Most Valuable Pod. Also, we've been posting on Instagram, so reach out on there at Most Valuable Pod as well. For Ricky Widmer, for Dave Oster, I'm Sean Anderson. Thank you so much for listening on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you so much for listening on YouTube, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.